I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Tuesday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today I am sharing five mistakes we make when using the Enneagram. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is when is that like my husband and I have been really working to infuse more fun and spontaneity into our lives. And that's been really nice. This morning we just kind of randomly decided to go get donuts. Now the thorn here is that sometimes that just doesn't work out. Um, Like this morning we went to the donut shop and it was closed. So we drove to the other side of town to the other donut shop and it was also closed. So, you know, sometimes you decide to be spontaneous and it breathes new life into your day. And other times you decide to be spontaneous and it is stressful both are real. (laughs) My bud is, y'all, I bought some Cara Cara oranges at the store yesterday. I'd never had them before. I had my first one yesterday and it's just kind of like a mild, sweet, not tart orange that's really easy to peel. And I am really excited about having one with my lunch today. (laughs) Okay, so the Enneagram. It is an incredible tool, right? It's an invitation to release these limitations that we've put on ourselves or had placed on us in our life. It can be the information we need to create a freer, happier existence. However, I am surrounded by individuals using the Enneagram in all kinds of ways every single day. I've been on my own journey of the Enneagram for years now, and we have all made at least one of these mistakes. So I'm going to share with you the top five mistakes that I see people make and have made myself on their Enneagram journey. So the first one is typing each other, especially if you are not a trained Enneagram facilitator. So um, the reason that this is not ideal is because it's one, really likely that you're wrong. We think we can type people based off of our interactions with them, our perception of them, but we have to remember that our perception of other people's motivations is highly influenced by our worldview and what we think the world looks like. So um, the first, yeah, so the main thing to keep in mind here is that it's really easy to mistype people. We cannot type people from just looking at them and interacting with them. It is motivation-based, not behavior-based. So someone could watch me and think, okay, you are pretty routine-oriented. You like to have a clean kitchen. You love to organize. Um, and think that I'm a type one, someone might watch me. And again, these are stereotypes. I'm not saying all type ones love to have an organized kitchen. But I am saying sometimes people think that. Um, People might see that I read, you know, like a book a week or more and um, love to learn and spend a lot of time researching things. And I do a ton of research before I go on a trip and they might think I'm a type five. Um, They might interact with me and I'm kind to them and, and sweet to them and they'll think that I'm a type two. So everybody's gonna have a different experience with what they pull out of your journey and what they perceive about you. This is never more obvious to me than when my husband and I are analyzing someone else's motivations, which isn't something that I would do 
in public, but something we do in private a lot, is try to guess why someone did what they did. And it's almost always through our worldview. He's a type four, I'm a type seven. And you'll hear me say like, oh, they were feeling trapped. They're feeling restricted. They're feeling limited. They are just trying to make themselves happy. And it all comes from like, my motivation and then he'll say well they're feeling worthless or they're feeling like they're not enough or they're feeling rejected by their family of origin you know these things that he relates to or has experienced um when in reality uh it's likely one of the other nine <laughs> different motivators so um one we don't know we're likely to project we're likely to get it wrong but also because of that, it kind of steals their journey of self-discovery away from them. So this is the same reason I don't encourage taking tests. I really want you to read the types because the journey of discovering your type is part of the process. You know, going through and saying like, this one's not me, this one, I can see some elements of this type in me, but I see other elements of this other one that are me. And by the time you get to your number, when you read the descriptions, you feel so seen and known that you become more clear of who you are based off of all the explorations of who you aren't. So I don't want to take that from anybody. I don't want to take anyone's journey away from them. Now, the other thing that we do here is we can use it as a form of control and manipulation, probably for most of us unconsciously, but it's essentially saying, here's what I think you should work on. Here's where I think you're afraid or what I think your shortcomings are. And here's what I wish you would fix. And so what you're the, the unconscious message that you're sending to people when you're typing them without their permission or you're typing them without them asking um, or you're typing them without asking them questions about the type. Um, I'll talk to you about how I do discuss type with people in a minute, but you know, you when you do this, you're kind of saying to them, I want you to accept how I see you. I want you to accept the way that I see you, the way I experience you, more than I care to get to know how you see and experience yourself. I'm gonna say that again. What you're saying when you're kind of giving someone their Enneagram type is, this is how I see you, I experience you, that matters to me more than how you see and experience yourself. That's not the goal, right? The goal is to open up communication, open up empathy, open up compassion, to be less of a know-it-all <laughs> type. You know, I'm talking to myself as a type seven. Um, you know, be willing to learn about what people are experiencing that maybe we don't know about them and to increase our chance of connection versus pin pigeonholing them into a single lane, telling them who, how we see them and not being available for how they see themselves. So I see this a ton when I see people say like, oh, I'm, I'm telling you, you're a type two. I know you think you're not, but you are. Like that energy is so unhelpful. Um, what you're saying to them is like, I don't care how you see yourself. I'm telling you who you are, which is all that that is ever going to do is make them feel less safe with you, make them feel less connected to who they are, less safe to tell you who they are. Like this isn't the goal. The goal in my opinion, is to enhance your relationships, to deepen your relationships, to expand them. So give people a chance to tell you who they are, be curious about them, and 
yeah, don't type them. Now, if someone does come to you, um, and I do this, you know, people sometimes will have paid me in the past. I don't do this a lot, but for typing sessions where I can go through an actual typing session with them, walk them through the process, I don't do this in informal environments because it's too complicated um, and I'm more likely to get it wrong if we're kind of just being light and frivolous about it. So if I'm having an informal interaction with someone about the Enneagram and they wanna talk out their type, here's how I approach it. I ask them a lot of questions and I don't give them any answers. <laughs> almost ever. Um, I might say, okay, it looks like maybe you're a type three, but definitely go read it. I'll send you an article of, about a type three and encourage you to check it out. Um, let me know what you think. That's the way that I tend to approach it. I might have like a pretty strong opinion of what I think they are, but I've been wrong before, you know, and I'll be wrong again. So I would rather approach it from let's ask you a lot of questions and then I can kind of point you into one or two general directions. But if that doesn't resonate, let me know and I'll explore further with you. So that's how I encourage you to do it as well. You know, ask more questions than you give answers. And even in your answer, say like, this is motivation based. You know yourself better than I know you. Let, here's, you know, a write up of it that I really like. Let me know what you think. Okay, number two, the second mistake that I see people make is they stop at typology, meaning you go, you take a quiz or you find your type and they're like, okay, I'm a type four. This is now I know this about myself and use that as kind of like your pass to being the way that you are in the world. So saying, well, I'm a type four, so of course I'm gonna wallow in my sadness, or I'm a type seven, so of course I'm gonna travel when I'm feeling sad. And instead of exploring the way that these behaviors impact your life long-term and setting yourself free. So there's just so much more available to us through the Enneagram than just like horoscope style self-awareness where we like read our little horoscope or we read our affirmations and we're like, I love myself as my type and don't try and change me. That isn't really the goal here. Like the goal is to release you from the expectation. So if we think about the Enneagram as who we thought we had to be, as in it's a restriction that has been placed on us and we're told, okay, you have to be moral and right and good. You have to be helpful in order to be loved. You have to be successful in order to be worthwhile. You have to be unique and special in order to matter. You have to find something outside of yourself in order to be whole, um, that you have to research before you can take action. You have to know every single thing. You have to moderate your resources or people are going to take from you, or you have to be loyal or you'll be without support, or maybe you have to be happy or you're going to um, sink into a pit of despair. You have to be strong or you're going to get taken advantage of and you're going to be betrayed, or you have to make peace and you have to keep people um, happy with you and not rock any boats or people will leave. Like these are these messages, these intense messages that we have carried as burdens in our life that impact us 
not positively, right? Like, yes, in some ways, these can be our greatest strengths. As we know, like sometimes with the Enneagram, our greatest strengths are also our greatest weakness. So yes, type ones are principled and they're fair and they tend to look for the best possible way to do things and they can be, you know, judgmental of themselves and others. They can be have crippling perfectionistic procrastination where they can't do things because they're afraid of doing it wrong. Or they can work themselves to death because they don't know when rest is allowed, when it's good to rest. They can believe that they're not worthy of good things, that fun and lightness and play are things to be earned. So Yes, it's beautiful and it's not working all the time. And so when we stop at typology, we can end up in this place where we limit our ability to expand. We limit our ability to grow and to release these pressures that we've been carrying. And my hope for you when I talk to you about the Enneagram, when I teach the Enneagram, is that you feel a release of pressure, a release of maintaining the status quo of who you've always been, that you trust that, yes, I'm going to step out of this consistent role that I have played in my life and I am still going to be worthy of love. Okay, so when we stop at typology, we're stopping at our ability to experience depth of love, depth of acceptance from both ourselves and others. And that is not what I want for you, right? That's not the goal. Um, the goal is to also, um, you know, open ourselves up to being loved for who we are, not a role that we play, because that's actual love, both from ourselves and others. If we're loved for what we do, how do we get to be loved for who we are? And that means sometimes we have to do something different. Um, However, also, it's to ease up on the harmful behaviors that we're doing to others, the trauma that we cause others, the harm that we cause others, um, to be a more loving, safe place for other people to spend time with. And in order to do that, it's we have to explore, well, what about this isn't working? You know, where do I... Um, actually go so deep into the average to unhealthy levels of my type that I'm actually doing harm and how can I do less harm both to myself and to other people. So the second mistake is stopping at typology instead of actually digging in and figuring out how to grow. Number three is confusing levels of health with stress and rest lines. I hear this all the time like, okay, I'm... Um, just feeling really rigid right now, so I must be an unhealthy seven. Or I am feeling, I'm reading a lot right now, so I must be a healthy seven. Um, and so let me explain really quickly the lines of the Enneagram, just in case you're new. Um, so when you look at the Enneagram symbol, it's a circle, and it has all these lines going to connecting all these different numbers. And each number has a line that it moves to for stress and a line it moves to for rest. Sometimes what people will say for the stress number is unhealthy. And sometimes what people will say for the rest number is healthy. And this isn't how it works. The Enneagram has levels of health for your number. So um, type ones are have average healthy and unhealthy levels specific to that number that don't relate to any other number. 
now they go somewhere in stress and they go somewhere in rest. But the deal here is with these lines, you can climb up the line or you can fall down the line, meaning you can experience the high levels of health of the number that you go to both in stress and in rest, as well as the low levels of health of that number if you're not consciously cho choosing it. So I'm gonna use seven as an example. So seven, my average to low levels of health look like trying to escape pain through um, consumption of, you know, for me, it's like shopping or traveling or um, escapism. <laughs> so you know, everybody has their own vices, um, but it's, you know, escaping your pain through consumption or reframing, convincing yourself that the things that you're experiencing aren't that bad. Um, and ignoring your pain, ignoring your thing, resisting any sense of limitation. And then as we get healthier, we're able to sit with our feelings a little bit longer and so that we don't make these choices as quickly. We're not as escapist. Maybe we still love to travel, but we, um, instead of traveling to a new place and just thinking about the next trip we're gonna go on, we actually start to stay present with the experience that we're having and enjoy the moment that we're in instead of feeling frustrated by its imperfection because things are always better in our mind than they are in reality, okay? So that's the levels of health. That's within the seven structure. So as a one, say you're a type one, you move to seven in rest, meaning if you feel safe, if you feel relaxed, if you feel open, you are more inclined to show these like high level seven behaviors. Um, you're likely to be more grateful for the things that you have. You're likely to be more spontaneous and fun loving. You're likely to allow yourself to experience joy unencumbered, um, to release the concept that you have to earn play and that play is frivolous. But if you're unconscious, you can slide down that number, even if it's a rest line, to the point of complacency, where maybe you're not really paying attention to the things that you really need to be doing because you're focusing so much on play. Um, maybe you've gotten so spontaneous that you're losing sight of some of the healthier habits that you've had in the past. Um, so see what I'm saying here? They're, they're not the same thing, they're individual ideas. So a stressed out seven isn't an unhealthy seven, they're a seven experiencing stress. Um, a seven in rest isn't a healthy seven, they're a seven experiencing safety. So um, those things are much more temporary and fluid and you can experience all of them in a single day and you kind of experience the other numbers, but your health is your individual experience kind of up a ladder versus um, across the diagram. The reason that, that I think this is important um, is because the rest, stress and rest lines are so actionable, you can use them intentionally. And I think it's a little derogatory to be calling yourself like I'm, I'm unhealthy just because maybe you're experiencing some stress right now, right? Like that's not to me the goal isn't to diagnose yourself as like unhealthy because you're having a stressful moment or a stressful day or a stressful season that makes it more diagnostic versus manageable and changeable and actionable. So if you can say, all right, I'm seeing some stressful behaviors arising, I'm, I'm noticing myself, you know, for me as a seven, feeling more restrictive and ritualistic and legalistic, well, how can I rest? How can I, you know, bring in some of those five behaviors intentionally to 
lower my stress, to create an environment of rest for myself? Or how can I be more consciously conscious about my self-care so that I can use these higher levels of, of health for that one, AKA, can I add a little bit more structure and routine like healthy ones do to prevent me from getting to this place of stress in the future? All right, I've been a lot of, I've spent a lot of time on this one, but that is, I just really wanna be clear that there's a distinction there. Stress is not the same as unhealthy. And um, it's one of the most common mistakes that I see. So I just wanna be really clear. Number four, the fourth mistake that I see people make really often is replacing human beings with numbers. Um, instead of saying, I'm learning about you that you feel like if you don't give this to me that you aren't going to be loved and I just want to remind you and reassure you that I love you unconditionally that the love for me is not earned and you are safe here um, is not the same as saying wow you're being such a two right now right like the goal isn't to minimize people to the point of not being whole, um, being kind of, my friend Hillary McBride called it like an objectification in an interview that we did together and I completely agree. You're literally objectifying people, putting them as a number um, instead of trying to understand them, trying to get to know them. So I wanna challenge you to use the Enneagram for better question asking, to understand people from their perspective, to maybe use the language to offer insight into maybe what they're experiencing instead of using the numbers as a descriptor. And I think this is really beneficial even for yourself. So for me, instead of saying, I'm being such a seven right now, instead say, whoa, I'm feeling a little bit restricted and I need to just take a breath and remind myself that I'm okay to be here, that I am safe here. When we use the language, we heal, right? We grow, we heal, we expand. When we use the number, we limit, we close, we put people into boxes, we categorize them. Instead of inviting in dialogue around growth and expansion and healing. Final mistake, mistake number five um, is honestly just taking it too seriously. I have done this a lot. I've seen this done a lot. Um, one way that I have done this is overcorrecting, um, you know, closing off the good out of fear of the bad. You know, as a seven, I really cut myself off from spontaneity for like, I want to say like two years, you know, with COVID and everything. Like I really cut off my access to joy because I was so afraid of the harmful behaviors, the escapism behaviors. But I'm also allowed to be the healthy version of a seven. Like that's why I think um, levels of health are so integral to the growth process and we they get ignored so often for you know kind of confusing them for the lines because when you look at the levels of health there are really expansive healthy versions of these things that we do um, you know so instead of focusing on where can I go next focusing on what's really beautiful right here and right now but I was so scared of reframing for so long that I would kind of pulled all the way over to the, the other side of it now this is a lot to do with what my subtype is, which is a social seven. And that's like a whole other journey and a whole other podcast. But 
just be mindful of like, just because we're working on healing and we're working on expanding and we're working on doing less harm, doesn't mean that there's not a beautiful element to our type as well. The other way that people, I see people take this too seriously is underappreciating your type, you know, not being grateful for the gifts that it brings to you, not appreciating the good things that it brings into your life. And also people treat the Enneagram as if it's a religion, um, as if it's our job to spread it far and wide, to convince everyone to believe in it, to get people bought into it. And I will be the first person to tell you that that is not your job. Your job is to heal. Um, it's not to convince everyone around you that they should heal too. And yes, of course, like I love the Enneagram. I teach the Enneagram. I write books about the Enneagram. I have a podcast added to the Enneagram. Like I want people to do this. I want people on this journey, but if they aren't interested or they're not ready or it's not something that appeals to them, um, that is, I don't feel this like underlying pressure to convince them to join the the cult, you know? Like that's not the goal. The goal is simply to get to know them. So if they're not interested in talking to me through the lens of the Enneagram, well, I can use the language of the Enneagram to understand them better without even convincing them to buy into the Enneagram. That's, I don't have to do that because it's not a religion that if they don't buy into it, they're going to hell or something, you know, like that pressure I think comes from the religious mindset of like, you know, spread it far and wide to save souls, which is not what we're doing. You know, the Enneagram can really offer a lot of insight and healing, but it's also not the only way to get that insight and healing. There's lots of ways and maybe they are, they're gonna have their access point that's different than your access point. Or maybe you're gonna be able to talk to them about it, but they just don't wanna be objectified through the lens of a number. And I can respect that and honor that with someone without um, feeling like they're rejecting something that has been really valuable to me. I also think that, um, you know, we take it too seriously when we're commenting on things we see on the internet, Instagram, for example, um, you know, worrying about like mistyping Disney characters and stressing over um, one line comments that you're trying to get like a big high concept idea into a one sentence, uh, being triggered by little things used like memes on the online. And I think the reason that this happens is because our Enneagram is so personal. There's a lot of wounding around the things that we've experienced. There's a lot of harm that's done through the Enneagram because of these other, you know, other mistakes that are being made. And it makes us really sensitive to criticism or really sensitive to it being used inappropriately. And there's a difference between doing something that's causing direct harm intentionally and um, having a little bit of fun, making a little bit of light around something, you know, and I'm a big, I'm personally a proponent of like, if I don't like something, I just keep scrolling. Like sometimes I see Enneagram accounts and I'm like, whoa, that's wrong. <laughs> that's intense. Or they don't even really know the Enneagram very well. And I'll just kind of keep scrolling, you know, it's not for me. And that's about all you can do, you know? I think when we take it so seriously that we kind of become ritualistic about or religious about it, then we get really serious to the point that it 
you can't even have fun anymore. You can't even enjoy it anymore. And that's something that I found myself doing out of fear. You know, I kind of changed my account significantly for fear of taking it too lightly, of being too playful with something that is so serious and sincere. And I've kind of moved back words a little bit, you know, kind of gone in a different direction with my content to blend in more sincerity, but also have a little bit of lightness because the world is a dark, heavy place right now. And sometimes we just need to giggle. And the people that I want around me are the ones who can kind of laugh at some of the hardest times and the hardest things that we've experienced. And I love, I love a person who can laugh at their flaws and their shortcomings and be honest with themselves about it. And quite frankly, when we're, we're reading some things and we're offended by, um, things that are describing low-level behaviors, I think it's helpful to ask why. Why does this make me feel charged? Where did where have I heard this before? Sometimes, you know, I'll I'll do a list on Instagram and I'll say one thing, but then people will comment that I'm saying something completely different because they've had a lifetime of experiences that have made them feel a specific way. And while I don't feel responsible for that personally, I have released that responsibility in my life. I do want them, I, I want to push you guys when that happens to you to ask yourself, where have I heard this message? Where have I experienced this? For example, recently for, for I put a journaling post up for type ones and I said, just to ask yourself where you can have more fun this this month. The reason I asked that question is because ones do moderate pleasure. They do feel that fun has to be earned. Um, they do tend to be more moderate and less spontaneous. Um, that's just, if you believe in the Enneagram, you have to know that ones take themselves very seriously. That doesn't mean that everyone in the world is not having fun, that you're not able to have fun. In fact, I think ones are sometimes the most silly, playful, fun people in my life. I've had lots of friends who are type ones who have given me more joy than than my seven friends but it does mean that you know if that triggers you if that makes you feel mad which it did for some people then i'm curious who told you that you weren't fun where did you receive the message that you aren't fun why do you feel so angry like why why are you having a big reaction to a small thing that means there's something deeper here right something from your past something from your childhood some message that you've received in your life that's making this little thing feel big that's the, that's where I think it's interesting to explore. That's where I would hope for you to go. Um, I think someone commented like wow you really don't think ones have fun. And actually, that's not true. That's not what I said. I said, can you add more fun in? If you're, you know, as a seven, I'm confident in the amount of fun that I have. And if someone says, can you add more fun in? I'd be like, yep, <laughs> thank you for asking me that one. So the, the, there's clearly an offense here and the offense exists because of some other experience that you've had in your life. And I want you to get into that, look into that. Um, don't think it has any, it's nothing to do with the meme you're seeing. It has everything to do with the life you've experienced and then explore who told you you weren't fun. Where did, why is their voice matter to you? And how can you reassure yourself in this moment that what they had to say isn't true? All right, friends, 
I have taken up enough of your time today with my talks on mistakes, but um, those are the top five mistakes that I see. I want to continue this conversation with you, so I'm posting about it on Instagram today. Come over, let me know what you think, um, let me know how your experiences with this, and let me know if you'd like for me to do a part two, because I have seen it all. Um, as always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next episode.